I'm Paulina Lee, and this is Here at Haas, a student-run podcast connecting you to Haasies and the faculty that change our lives. This week on Here at Haas, we are joined by Lee Ann West, a first-year full-time Haasie coming from education and consulting and looking to move into tech. She's passionate about education and innovation and ballet. Thanks for coming to the show, Leanne. Hi, Paulina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. How's your week going so far? It's been pretty good. Well, I'd love to start with you just sharing a little bit about your background, where you're from, and what you were doing before you came to Haas. So I was born in Charlottesville, Virginia. My father is a professor, and he uh, taught at University of Virginia. I moved to Philadelphia when he got a job with Villanova University right outside the city. And that's where I grew up. I went to University of Richmond for undergrad where I majored in geography. And after that, started off my career teaching uh, through Teach for America in Atlanta, went into consulting, and then went into grant making with the Schusterman Family Foundation in San Francisco doing national education grant making. And tell me a little bit more about your undergrad. What did you major in and why did you choose that major? So for me, my story was I went in as biochem and ended up really like I liked the classes. I was learning a ton, but took one course in international studies for a requirement and fell in love with the professor, with the content. And and I think that really started a trend that I've followed through the rest of my life of following people who make you feel passionate and motivated about what you're doing. Because it was really just that one professor, Dr. Salisbury, who pulled me into the international studies and geography department. And I just kept taking more classes and ended up switching my major by the end of that year. And I can't say I've done him very proud by doing much that has to do with geography, (laughs) but it really was a transformative undergrad experience. It's such an interesting story to go from the STEM field to a major in geography. And so then you graduated and you went into teaching. Tell Mm -hmm. me more about that. My senior year of undergrad, I was very wrapped up in in my school life. And it hit me like, oh, I guess I need to get a job. That's what I'm here for. I guess I need to like (laughs) think about what I'm going to do after this. I had done a summer doing research in the the Amazon, in the Peruvian part of the Amazon. I was looking at the biodiversity of home gardens and the impact of gender on that biodiversity, just seeing if there were relationships between who tended the garden and and what that meant for what was planted there. It was a really, really neat experience. But I will say I I really enjoyed that experience, the people part of it, and the part that was a little bit more isolated and focused on the environment, I, I felt less less motivated by. And the same thing happened to me when I did a semester in Panama doing biodiversity and conservation coursework. So that happened my sophomore and junior year. And so coming into my senior year, I was really realizing like, I, as much as I enjoy this coursework and the professors, it's too isolating doing this work where you're like out in fields. You know, some of my colleagues like would measure the diameter of trees. And I, was like, I don't think I want to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> so I went and saw Waiting for Superman, which was a documentary. I wish I knew who made it, uh, but it came out in, I think that was fall of 2010. And it was about the state of 
the U.S. education system. I think really, really, it just lit a fire for me. And I think maybe a week after a TFA recruiter had reached out, wanted to set up a meeting. They're always all over campuses. They're very effective. <laughs> and and after a couple conversations, realized that Teach for America was a program that I was excited about and wanted to apply to. And, and that led me to teaching. So I went to Atlanta. And it, it is funny how chance can ch- alter the course of your life so much. But I, I was randomly placed in Atlanta and I was given a second grade class, even though I wanted middle school because I thought elementary school was going to be so basic. I wanted a little bit more complexity in what I was teaching. And man, did I learn that there's a ton of complexity in elementary school. (laughs) I like to say I became a better reader and better at math by teaching second grade because you you start to understand the basics and the way I think when I was growing up, when we were growing up, they, they just didn't teach in the way that now the common core state standards have teachers build your math conceptual understanding and your reading. So I, I like was never a great reader when growing up. I remember I would get so nervous when I was called on in class and, and I would like misread words, even words I knew just because I would be so nervous. And and I think teaching second grade was very, it was therapeutic in that way. I was like, oh, this is why, like, I understand the rules now behind phonics. I have so many questions about your teaching experience. So you were teaching second grade. Was this just Mm -hmm. general education? So you taught all subjects? Yes, I taught all subjects. And I taught in this area in Atlanta, South Buckhead, the school's Garden Hills Elementary School. Like most cities, there are schools that have a lot more resources just based on property taxes and like what's around them um, and schools that have less resources. It was a Title I school, which means it had a certain percentage of students who received free and reduced lunch. But the school actually sat in a very well-to-do neighborhood. Most of the children and families who lived around the school didn't attend the school, though some did. And most of the students who attended the school lived a little bit further away in more more apartments. And they were mostly families where the parents were from a small town on the west coast of Mexico. I can't remember what the town is called, but like with a lot of immigration, one person comes and then your neighbors come, yeah. your, your family members, your cousins come. There were some other students whose parents were from mostly Mexico, but also some other countries in Central America. My students were, for most part, all citizens, all born in the U.S. And and there were a couple other racial backgrounds represented, but predominantly Hispanic, Latinx students. And the school was a beautiful building. And so all this was like very interesting for a Teach for America experience. Like I would drive through this beautiful neighborhood with large homes, drive up to this beautiful building. But then like my classroom half the time the AC didn't work. (laughs) And it was like, because it was so old, we had like horrible roach problems. I I had like mixed experiences, but for the large part, really loved my experience. There were hard moments for sure. My hardest moment, I remember I had really poorly handled one student who 
had oppositional defiance disorder um, in my first year. So she just really did not respond well to me trying to have any authority. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't great at having authority, figuring out as a 22-year-old how to manage a classroom of, of about 22 eight-year-olds. And, and uh, yeah, I had handled a situation really, really poorly. And it was right before the winter break. I think that was my lowest moment. I remember sitting on my classroom carpet floor crying. Luckily, my, my mentor came in from Teach for America, uh, Yael Devorn, now Yael Ross. She's a hero and a goddess. And she, and she coached me through it and really made me realize like you don't have to be defined by a low moment, like feeling like you had lost your temper with a, with a student. And I think by the end of my first year, I knew I wanted to teach much longer than my two-year commitment. It was the last day of classes. All my TFA cohort members were out celebrating. And, and I was like sitting at home grading these persuasive essays my students had write it, written <laughs> because I was so proud of what they had done. And so that, that's kind of like the moment where I at least etched in my memory where it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this for a little bit. I love it. And I hear your passion for teaching and the students. And I think as I like think about my own elementary school experience, I remember my second grade teacher and all my teachers in elementary school. And I think often in life, we have these very impactful experiences and pivot points that shape who we are and how we view the world. And so I'm just curious, looking back, do you have an impactful childhood experience that really stands out in your mind? I think it was a series of experiences that really made me someone who always wants to seek out meeting people who are different from me. Both my parents were first-generation college students and they didn't travel much growing up. They didn't have a ton of resources. I think the first time they went abroad, they were in their mid-20s. So when they were raising three daughters, they knew that they wanted us to have international experiences as we grew up. And so over the course of my childhood up until maybe seventh grade, we had four or five different exchange students come live with us for a year. And I think just growing up, having people come come live with you who are speaking a different language, who are cooking you different food and, you know, do things a little differently. And there were almost other parents to me. I'd be like four, in fourth grade and you have this senior in high school. So it was really neat to, to have them with us, I guess, over the course of seven years. And, and so that has impacted me in the way I live and seek out building friendships with people from different backgrounds. I think I didn't realize that when I was younger, but I, I see how it's impacted me now. That's so true because you got such an intimate look at how people from different cultures act on like very micro levels, like the little things that happen in a day, the way they structure their day, the decisions they make. And to your point, even though you're young, you're still taking in that information and either copying it or just kind of storing it in your subconscious for later. So I'm sure that's had a huge impact on just your openness to experiences, your openness to new people, and just putting yourself into different experiences and situations. Mm -hmm. So how many years were you teaching down in Atlanta? I taught for four years in Atlanta and, and just was in love with my school. And I think my fourth year teaching is when I started to think about how I 
if I really want to impact at a large scale, I realized I needed to build some other skills. Teaching is an incredible skill set and it's very transferable Mm -hmm. to other fields, but I wanted to learn like the basics of strategy and how trusted leaders think about and make decisions. And so that caused me to uh, look into consulting. So I did two years of consulting in Atlanta before coming out to San Francisco to do grant making. And that was also a really impactful experience where I developed a lot of those skills. They were like beaten into me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very rough transition, Um, I'm sure, like teaching straight into consulting. Yeah, it was harder than I thought. It was, I, I think when you're going from spending six to eight hours a day in front of kids making stuff happen and like seeing progress happen at the like seconds level, editing slide decks and being on like version 50 <laughs> was like, was like a very different way to feel satisfaction. But looking back on those two years now, I'm really like so appreciative of what I learned from consulting and miss a lot of the work I got to do. You got to work on such big questions. And I think I really realized how much I missed that math part. That was a big part of my life in high school of being really analytical and numbers driven. You talked a lot about learning the basics and learning a lot through teaching. If you had one takeaway that you had from consulting that you've carried on to your next role, what would it have been? Hmm, I think the biggest thing I learned there was at the end of the day, it is about storytelling. And that's something that I think the Haas MBA is driving home as well. But you can have 50 pages of analysis that's super impressive in whatever numbers you crunch. But if you don't get to the so what, if you don't have a compelling story arc of this is what we're recommending and why, that's what makes a great story and what makes you able to make change in organizations. Completely agree. So teaching to consulting, and then you made another career move. Tell me about that. Yeah, then I jumped into grant making. That was me really missing education and had an opportunity kind of swing my way. A a friend at BCG who had also been, who was also a Teacher America alum, popped me a job description from the Schusterman Family Foundation. Never heard of them, but I didn't know what this family foundation was, what they were about, and learned more about them online and, and realized that their theory of change, particularly around instructional materials, which was the portfolio I worked on, 100% aligned with my experience in the classroom. I taught during the Common Core transition. I'm not sure how much you or listeners know about the Common Core. I'm definitely not an expert, so no one should be quoting me. But the transition to the Common Core standards in Georgia happened, I believe it was 2012-2013. So states would opt into these standards. And then all of a sudden, it was your standards were different overnight in a state and teachers in the classroom, experience in the classroom was, okay, I still have my same Georgia performance standard books. Nothing has changed as far as my resources or training. 
So what do I do? I really struggled through that first year with Common Core because you, no one really knew that your coaches didn't really know what it meant to teach these new standards. And you had to figure it out and scramble and use a lot of resources from Teach for America, which I was lucky enough to have that network, but not all teachers had that. And it was really not until my fourth year teaching that we had really strong common core materials that I had worked on a leadership team with my principal at the time to do some research on. And we we um, piloted them and then adopted them, which was really, really exciting. And, and it changed my life. Like to have stuff in front of me that showed me, okay, this is what students should be able to do in math. And so the instructional materials portfolio at the Schusterman Foundation was all about that. Teachers have so much to worry about. They are worrying about what's the kid who has a bloody nose in the corner of the classroom, they're worried about the other kid who forgot yeah. his lunch. Ultimate chaos at all times. <laughs> right. And, and like you're trying to figure out how to make sure they all grow and have improved by the ne- end of the year. And so the last thing they should be worried about is what math lesson do I teach? Like, where do I get the worksheets? Where do I get the lesson, the materials, the projection? And so Schusterman believes that all schools should have great comprehensive year-long material available for every teacher. And so teachers can worry about the other stuff. And that mission resonated with me so much that I had to join the team and, and spent two years really learning about Common Core, how the transition has been across the country and what great instructional materials and training around those instructional materials look like and how hard that is to do. The change management it takes is <laughs> uh, there's so many so many lessons that we also talk about in our cases and classes at Haas around how you make a decision at this level how do you get it to be to happen with fidelity at the lowest level yeah it seems like it was the perfect role for you right just that perfect storm and combination of combining your passion for teaching, all the skills you had learned from consulting and strategy and telling a story to just culminate in this perfect role for you. Absolutely. Yes, that is. Yeah, that is how I describe it. (laughs) So it sounds like you had a really good time working with the Schusterman Foundation. What made you decide to leave and come to Haas? My smart or joke answer is I have an accounting professor for a father and I did not take one business or accounting course in undergrad. So I owe it to him (laughs) and I had to go back to school to take accounting. But the more serious answer is that I continued to, through my time at Schusterman in particular, because I was really thinking about path and next steps and what kind of leader do I want to be? Where do I want to lead? That I just started to pay attention to leaders I admired and both get advice from them and also look at the path that they had taken. And even in the education landscape, there are so many people with MBAs and there are great leaders that don't have MBAs, but a lot of people who I I saw them playing roles similar to what I wanted to play, a little bit more behind the scenes, but having a, a strategic and really important put, role that you would play in, in organizations and how decisions were made. And I remember one grantee in particular time was chief of staff at at Tulsa Public Schools, which was really important grant. The Schusterman family is from Tulsa, so they really care about their local school district. I just asked her, what do you think? And she said, you know, like I read, the, the articles I read are HBR. 
and and management. I'd read the education stuff, of course, but at the end of the day, once you're at a high level in an organization, it's about managing people and making decisions about how to allocate finite resources. And that's training that you get at an MBA. And that can apply to any industry, any field. It doesn't matter where you go. So once I kind of got this thinking of like, this is a general management degree and it doesn't have to be industry specific. I really was got excited about it and got on board to applying. And you're just finishing up year one at Haas. How has the first year been and how have you gotten involved? The first year has been really great. Definitely not what I expected when we think about the past couple months, but I know people are talking about that all the time. So (laughs) won't repeat what many conversations have already been had. But I'd say it's it's been like better than I had imagined. I think in particular, well, maybe in two ways. One, socially, I think it was, I didn't realize that the move from Atlanta to San Francisco where I didn't have a network, I, I hadn't done a move without a network. I met people, I made great friends, but it was definitely slow coming. So coming into like this giant network of amazing people, it was immediately so gratifying to have this great group that were always around and available for great conversations and a lot of fun. And then secondly, on the academic side, I think people at least applying to full-time programs, they always downplay the academics so much. It's all about your network and the trips you take and, and those things are great, but I really have enjoyed the school part of it. I've learned a ton. I think people also who have done consulting who say, often say like you don't learn as much in business school and, and maybe it's different because I never took a business course before, but I've learned so much and and probably should have learned more, particularly when it comes to classes like finance. But I, I really, really enjoyed the classes. I completely agree. I have an undergrad in business and marketing. And even still, the refresher has been enlightening because I'm able to take some of the things we learn about theoretically in undergrad. You just kind of store or you just memorize for the test, but learning it real time with the amazing professors that we have and then being able to see that come to life or apply it right away at work for me has been an amazing learning experience. So I agree. I think when you're on all the forums and talking to people about business school. They're like, it's a great social experience. Make sure you're ready for it. But it's so true. You are in school and you do learn a ton through the project work, through your classmates and through just the different courses that we take. You're pretty involved. So your first year, you were an academic rep and then now you are the VP of academics for the total MBAA. I'd love for you to talk about your first Haas leadership experience and why you ran for VP of academics. Absolutely. My first Haas leadership experience was actually being a captain on hospitals. <laughs> love it. Which I, I signed up for in April enthusiastically when we bought tickets and I didn't realize very unintelligently didn't realize that meant I would actually have to drive a boat. So my good friend and also study team member, Jake Coppola, luckily drove the boat for me (laughs) because I was absolutely horrified at having to drive. But then the more, the obviously the deeper leadership experience is VP academics. And I, I was excited about the idea of getting 
involve going into school. I don't think I really had a vision to how I would get involved. And if you talk to any of my fellow classmates who are Teach for America alum, they will say that it's a constant struggle of like, do you get involved in academic things or don't you? Like, are you trying to pivot or do you, you know, stay the course with what you're passionate about? And I, I didn't think super deeply about where I wanted to fit on those two two ends of the spectrum, but immediately was attracted to the ACR role. Just knowing that I, I'm passionate about other people's academic experience and my own academic experience and felt like I would have something to offer just having spent six years of my professional life thinking about what makes a great learning environment. Not to mention that one of my a role model, I guess you could say, um, and I'd say the person who sealed the deal for me coming to Haas, Liz, um, Liz Koenig, who's a Teach for America alum as well in class of 2018 full-time. She was an ACR and also VP Academics. <laughs> so so I, I really admire her. And I think maybe in the back of my mind, I was um, just like, oh, if Liz did it, then I can do it. So the ACR role, I think that experience and then just having lots of conversations with classmates around our academic environment is what led me to apply to the VP academics role. There are so many things that Haas does really well and so many great professors. Like having the most rigorous classroom environment that meets everyone's needs is a really, really hard thing to accomplish. So I wanted to be a voice for people who felt like their needs weren't being 100% met and see what we can do to make sure everyone is learning as much as they can in these two years because you're paying a lot of money on the per hour class basis if you do that math. So everybody deserves <laughs> a great classroom experience. I know, I hate when they remind us of that dollar amount. <laughs> You're like, right, I need to yep. pay attention. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Every second you check your phone is actually like a lot of money down the drain. So. Exactly, exactly. So you're starting an internship this summer love to mm -hmm. understand what you're doing this summer, why you decided to go after this internship, and what you hope to gain out of the experience. I'm going to be interning with Google, and I am working on their strategy and operations team. Sorry, I think it's functionally strategy and operations. It's the global partnerships group, which is the group that basically handles how Google products interact with anything that's outside of Google. And then within the global partnerships, I'm on the strategy and ops team that works on devices and support. So this is going to be my first time working for a big organization where you can have like that many levels of an org chart. And, and I think that's part of what I'm excited to experience. I think on the consulting side, you go into big organizations and you see them from one lens. Education, it's like totally, totally different beast. So I'm excited to experience working for a big company, particularly a tech company that has the ability to move quickly and innovate to respond to the times. I think that's one of the things that can be challenging working in education. Stuff moves really slowly. You have the same achievement gaps that we had 30, 40 years ago. And and I'm excited to go into a place that moves so quickly that you can't even keep up with it <laughs> and just learn, I think, learn how to think, like, think about planning for the future, but like really, really looking forward to the experience. It's going to be interesting doing it remotely, but I really trust Google to, to do it well, to figure out how to help us build relationships with other interns and build relationships with other people in the company and kind of get a little bit of that googliness culture that 
I know we're all like sad to miss from the Google Plex. Right. Yeah. We have interns starting this summer as well and all going to be virtual. So it's something that a lot of companies and managers and organizations are having to do very quickly in order to make sure that, you know, we still have a pipeline of talent coming through. And the journey you've shared with me so far, I think the pieces, whether planned or not, they feel like they've been very intentional and just continuing to build upon skill set and skill set and they fit together very well. As you think about a year from now, you would be graduating from Haas. What do you envision for yourself or what do you hope to move into? A year from now, I would hope to be joining a company, hopefully like Google, (laughs) maybe Google, we'll see. And joining a company where there's ample room to grow and experience different verticals and work streams, but within the same company and have the opportunity to move up and start leading teams. Because I've jumped around so much in my career, different places, I haven't had many opportunities to lead teams. And I don't regret that. I think in some ways, people can rush too quickly to try to be a manager. And I kind of like taking it slow and getting the diversity of experiences. But I, in this next role, I feel really ready to be a strong lead. And that's part of this business school experience of taking a break and making sure I have a well-rounded background and have the time to reflect on how can I be the best leader I can be? What, what are the strengths I need to lean on and what are the pitfalls I need to watch out for? Leading, I'm not particularly biased in like what particular type of product I'm working on or what type of initiative. I think as long as it's a mission-driven organization like Google's mission to increase access to information for everyone, I can I can get behind working on alongside part of that mission. I think in the long, long run, I'll be working in education. That's something that at least so far I've shown a pattern that I go back to but I really believe in doing other things and exploring so that you both become stronger and that you potentially can explore new passion areas. That's so well said. And speaking of passion areas, we've touched on the three, you know, we said up front education and innovation, but we have not touched on the last one we mentioned, which is ballet. So tell me about ballet. How does that fit into the whole life that you lead? Great. Oh, that went so full circle so nicely. I really love ballet. I, growing up, just followed my older sister around and whatever she did, and then she would be better at it than me, so I'd quit. I watched this ballet performance that actually my younger sister had been in and saw the higher levels and just thought it was so beautiful. Like, I hadn't spent a lot of time watching dance before that. So late middle school started ballet and then just went all in in high school. It was a really, I was a late bloomer, but absolutely fell in love with it. And so I am feel so grateful that I can still take ballet classes. And right now it's keeping me sane through quarantine. I will say that the silver lining in shelter in place is the ballet community is so incredible. You have principal ballerinas like Tyler Peck from New York City Ballet that she's streaming her class every single day. She's doing class from her living room and sharing it with everyone. There's another dancer in LA. I love Patricia. I believe her last name is pronounced Zoe, Z-H-O-U. And incredible class that I'm getting to take. She has amazing pointers. So I'm so grateful that 
while it's hard to take ballet class in your kitchen, not having a full studio and you can't do a lot of jumping, it's been a really great just like bonding experience, I think, in the ballet community to be able to take these classes with really esteemed dancers across the globe. That's so amazing. There's, I think there are some good silver linings that have come out of the whole world going into quarantine that I hope when things open back up, we'll still have this ability to lean on virtual connectivity, even though we'll also have the in-person portion as well. I hope so. Yeah, I hope we find the happy medium between those two things and and really, really hope as far as learning, we are back in the classroom. <laughs> it's been really, really great having this opportunity to talk with you yeah, tonight. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Here at Haas. If you loved hearing Leanne's story, don't forget to leave us a rating and review. And make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future stories. Until next time, I'm Paulina Lee, and this is Here at Haas.